Unlock More to Life with Adrian Pinozo, Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we broadcast interviews with successful real estate investors across North America to empower you on your journey to unlocking more to life with real estate investing. Now, now here's your host, Adrian Pinozo. Hey everyone, it's Adrian Pinozo here with the More to Life Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you get more to life, or at least try to help you to get more to life through the power and financial freedom of real estate investing. It's completely changed my life and it's changed most, if not all, the guests we've had uh, their lives on our show. So before we get into it, uh, we have a really, really super guest uh, today. Uh, We're on episode number 56, which I'm super, super grateful and proud of and um, happy for, obviously. Just a couple quick notes. Um, Again, I want to promote our um, first responders wealth event, wealth creation event. So all first responders, police, fire, ambulance, if you know one in your friend, in your circle of family and friends or whatnot, please, please Tell them what our event, February 22nd, uh, 6.30 p.m., uh, held in Mississauga, Ontario, at the Hansa House. Uh, we're going to be talking, and this event is specifically geared for first responders, to help them get started in creating generational wealth and wealth through real estate investing. Everybody knows I was a police officer for 21 years, completed uh, in the GTA, And uh, I made the move and started investing in real estate 11 years ago. And as a first responder, um, completely changed my life uh, financially, emotionally, and um, geographically, and that that freedom and whatnot. So please spread the word. February 22nd, link is in my bio on all our social media platforms where... um, uh, the event is also hosted on Eventbrite, so you can find some information about it there as well. Um, quick uh, quick thing on what we're working on. I don't know how everybody's New Year's uh, goals are working out. Usually people drop off the map after uh, month one uh, and their goals start to either go in the right direction or wrong and stuff like that. Some people don't even set New Year's goals and whatnot. Um, but for us, uh, our goals are going really, really good. Uh, we we set a goal of adding 100, 100 more doors to our portfolio, EPC's portfolio, in joint venture partnership this year. And uh, we firmed up on an 11-unit deal I mentioned on the last episode in uh, Welland, Ontario. And we're now uh, in the process of looking at and uh, I don't want to say too much about it, but uh, it's another 14-unit deal, a uh, purpose-built apartment building that uh, we have our eye on and uh, fingers crossed, things go well on it. So yeah, we're definitely off to the races. I mean, if we get those two deals, that's 25 doors in a month and a bit, give or take, since since the beginning of this year. So super excited about that, uh, to close that opportunity an acquisition and I hope potentially on our next episode I'm able to tell you guys that uh, we got another one under our belt so if you're looking to joint venture or you're looking to get into that apartment building space um, multifamily space reach out to us 
definitely can get you started on the right foot, give you some advice, some tips, and who knows, maybe do business together. So that's enough about us. Um, great, great guest on our show today, uh, Justin Moy. And I was actually um, on Justin's podcast. Uh, he holds a podcast himself probably about eight to 10 months ago now, give or take. So I thought I'd return the favor. Super, super uh, innovative and uh, successful guy as well. So definitely a good person to uh, take some knowledge from. For those of you unfamiliar, Justin, Justin helps individuals create generational wealth and passive income by bridging the gap between capital and reliable, consistent, and profitable multifamily properties. Justin, tons of experience and knowledge in this field. So welcome to the Mortar Life Real Estate Investing Podcast. How are you this afternoon? Man, Adrian, I, I love the intro. Uh, thank you so much. I'm excited to be on the show. You mentioned the intro. Lucky episode 56. I'm excited yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, lucky fifty six, and I know we had we I had you on my show, uh, passive real estate strategies. Yeah, about you know close to a year now. Such a sharp guy. I'm so happy we were able to stay in touch, um, and now back on your show. So everything comes full circle. So it's exciting to to be on this side of the table now. Yeah, awesome. So why don't we get into it? Um, for those of you that, out there that are listening, um, why don't you tell everybody, Justin, your story, like how it all started for you, where you're at beginning, middle, end, so to speak, and uh, everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I would love to. So, um, you know, a bit about me, I got into real estate as a career really from the start. Um, I, I kind of dipped my toes in this from a residential broker space. And so I was 19 years old. I really was looking for a way to avoid going to college. Uh, my parents were that very old school, hey, go to college, get a degree. Uh, both my parents didn't go to college and they felt it really limited them in their opportunities kind of further down in their careers. Uh, so they really told me that college was really the only way to be successful, which now I know isn't exactly true. But you know, when you're growing up, that's what you're taught and that's kind of what the, the torch that you run with. So I was looking for ways to to avoid going to college and be successful. And I knew a few real estate agents who were just killing it. They were crushing it. They were doing really, really well. Um, and everybody can kind of do the math, right? If you list a million dollar home, everybody kind of does, okay, what's the 1%, 2%, 3% commission on that? And so I really dove into that space. So I started selling single family homes as a 19 year old kid in the third most competitive market in the country, which is the East Bay of California, just over the bridge, uh, the San Francisco bridge. Okay. So I was 19 years old within that first year, you know, in the top 10 of the largest firm uh, in that area. I had about a $2.2 million average list price. And um, you know, interestingly enough, one of my, my clients, when we closed on their home, she invited me over to the vineyards to go get some wine with her. And I, I actually couldn't. I was only 19 years old, so <laughs> I couldn't even join her, you know, out here in the States drinking age is 21. Um, so I was really, really, really good at that. I was fantastic at transactional, creating transactional money. And what really started to suffocate me was the thought that I'm constantly chasing the next deal and I couldn't turn it off. I would be on vacation. It would take weekends. I would be up late at night. Um, and back then I loved the hustle. I loved the grind and I still do, but I could feel it starting to wear me down. I could feel the burnout kind of creeping up on me. I knew it wasn't a pace that was manageable. It was really harming my personal relationships when I was prioritizing work over relationships because that kind of 
that chase. You're constantly chasing that next deal. And I couldn't help but get off that cycle. So I transitioned more into um, an investor role because a lot of my clients were investor clients. I kind of saw the money they were making. I saw the lives they were living, which was, I was starting to realize the more important conversation to have is what kind of life are you having? And so I, I jumped over into researching the investment space. I decided just for personal reasons, single family just didn't excite me enough. Um, at least in the Bay Area, you know, the cash flow is pretty low and demand is super high. So you're really banking on appreciation. And when you do the math, you just needed a lot, a lot, a lot of properties to make a real good impact. So I dove into multifamily. Seemed like a, a pretty easy transition over. Um, like I get the space, I get real estate investing, I get that multifamily provides a scale quickly. And since then, I've been syndicating properties. We help people invest passively in multifamily assets. And I mean, I've loved the journey ever since. It's been the best decision of my life. I can tell you that my eyes really lit up every day when I'm working on multifamily stuff where I've never really felt that way with other professions. So I've definitely found my calling for it and, and it's in the multifamily investing space. Awesome. Yeah, definitely have a lot of like in that regard. Um, Cause obviously, as you know, all we do is invest in the multifamily space as well. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, interesting. So how long did you make the transition from, I guess, just selling single family homes to now being investing in multifamily and syndicating? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 from a professional perspective, it was right away. Now I took a professional gap in between there. Um, I did end up going to college because I actually decided to go into the military. So in between when I was a broker and, and, you know, when I went to college, I went to the military, um, again, just that constant search for purpose that every, you know, 19 year old, 20 year old goes through. Uh, so went there, went to college. And then when I got out of college, had a few sales jobs here and there because that's kind of what I knew and loved and was really good at, but I was always investing in a multifamily. So in total, I spent, you know, about four years in the broker space. And then the past, you know, about another four years creeping up on me now um, in the multifamily syndication space. So been been loving every minute of, of my real estate journey. So let's let's break that down. Um, the multifamily syndication space. Uh, so we do have some beginner uh, beginners in the audience, some intermediates and some novices. Yeah. Um, break that down. Uh, what does that mean in layman's terms? Multifamily syndication space. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you backing me up there um, and really bringing everybody on board. So yeah, syndication is really pulling together the resources of many people to purchase one asset. So if you ever drive by big apartment buildings, so multifamily is going to be apartment buildings, anything from, you know, two plus units, uh, mobile home parks, all of those qualify as, you know, multifamily. And if you ever drive by these really big apartment complexes, it, it would be fairly difficult for one person to afford them. Um, you know, an example is we just closed on a $9 million deal, which ended up needing about in down payment and closing costs, close to $4 million to close on. Now, I don't want to write a check for $4 million. Most people in the audience don't want to write a check for $4 million. Even if it's a slam dunk home run deal, it's just tough to put all your eggs into that basket. So we break it up. So we'll say, hey, investors, we have this awesome opportunity. We need $4 million to close on it. We'll open it up to, let's say, a $25,000 minimum investment, and then you can have a piece of the equity as a totally passive investor. So we pull together all these investors, you know, 20, 30, 40 investors, um, pull together $4 million, 
and purchase a big property and everybody gets ownership in, in the property according to how much they invested. So a lot of properties, a lot of big commercial spaces are syndicated um, because again, it's, it's just tough to find buyers who have that one check that they're willing to write. And then it helps diversify things as well. So that's what a syndication is. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, you're part of the syndication team that are that is putting the deal together, underwriting the deal, preparing yeah. all the literature and uh, for lack of a better word on the deal. And then it gets fanned out to a database and correct. you to collect money. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So we're called the general partnership. Right. So the general partnership for, you know, those listening is it's, it's the active side of the investment. So you have the general partnership and the limited partnership is the passive side. Right. So I'm really, really big on, you know, being clear on what are passive real estate investing strategies. Cause I think a lot of people get into real estate space thinking, oh, it's passive income. It's fantastic. They buy a house or two and they realize it's not quite passive entirely. You always have tenants and toilets to deal with. If you have property managers and teams, you still have decisions to make. And a lot of times property managers need your direction to execute on those decisions anyway. So there's always a pull on your time and mental capacity. Now, when it comes to things like a syndication or a fund or a read or something like that, it's truly 100% passive. There is no requirement of commitment of your time or your knowledge or your expertise. So what, what makes it really beneficial for everybody is people listening right now who maybe don't have the time or the desire to commit to learning about investing properties, to learn about multifamily, to qualify for loans, to underwrite deals, to do financial analysis, to manage the deals. I mean, it's a lot that goes into it. So people like us will do all the active work in exchange for passive equity from investors so that we can continue offering these investments to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to qualify for these or wouldn't know even where to begin to, to get their feet wet into the space. Makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about the portfolio then. Uh, yeah. You're obviously involved in some big transactions in in this space and whatnot. Can you comment, um, if you don't mind, on, I guess, your portfolio or the company's portfolio right now and what yeah. you've been able to build? Yeah, so so we we do actually build as well. It's part of what we do. So we syndicate as-is properties throughout the, the Midwest here in America. Um, Kansas, Iowa, Oklahoma, uh, Missouri area. And we also build properties in Boise in Idaho. So it's all multifamily. Um, so we are building, we build anywhere from about 10 to 200 units right now under construction. And we syndicate as is properties anywhere from 30 to our biggest right now is 144 units. Wow. So we have a pretty good buy box. Um, I would say it, it's not going to be as big as some other people who they're like, hey, I will only do a 500 plus unit deal just because they have this enormous scale. Um, maybe they have tons and tons and tons of investors. You know, we like to keep things fairly intimate with our investor group. We don't want to open up the investments and have anybody and everybody in there. We have a, a vetting process and we want to make sure that we're bringing in investors in our network who make sense and who our deals make sense for as well. So we have a, a buy box just about sub $30 million for as-is structures. And then construction loans can go up into you know the, the $100 million plus area. So yeah, pretty pretty wide range of the portfolio, but we do like to keep things fairly intimate with, with the properties we buy. Amazing. So you're doing some big things. Wow, congratulations. Shit. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate it. I didn't realize it. you guys were obviously actively involved at the moment with builds as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it requires some creativity to really get in the game, right? Um, especially in certain markets where the markets are so small, but they're growing, it, it, like Idaho or like Boise area. You know, if you're looking for as a syndications, you're going to be sitting on your hands for a while because there's just not that much product there. And right. the appreciation is hitting so fast that people don't want to sell them. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of getting creative to get real estate deals done. Um, as people get more sophisticated in this real estate investing space to stand out, you got to get more creative in what you do, whether it's how you find properties or how you how you make your return. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend having a pretty diverse portfolio for everybody out there. Amazing. Um, one thing that's near and dear to to me, and uh, I'm a true preacher of it. What's your feeling about switching gears for a second here? What's your feeling about um, long-term generational wealth investing yeah. as opposed to short-term investing flips, stuff like that? Yeah. What's your feeling on that? Yeah, I, th I think they both play uh, an important role and it's going to depend on where you're at in your journey. I think there's a spot for that investor who is what I call sometimes playing offense with their money where they're willing to get a little bit riskier. They're in a big growth phase of what they do. Maybe they're a high income earner and they still have you know, 20, 30 plus years of their professional working life ahead of them where they can afford to take some risk, where they can afford to take risk for those big equity multiples, those flips. And, and we've done flips um, and we've been successful and we've been unsuccessful in them. But that's understanding the risk. When you have the generational assets, the really big class A, super nice luxury apartments, a lot of times people don't realize you're actually not making a ton of upfront return on a lot of those assets. You're doing exactly what you said. You want it to be generational. You want to buy a newer asset because you want it to last for the next 30, 40 years without major problems. And then it's going to continue to kind of slowly appreciate. You might be making, you know, four or five, six percent on your money as opposed to a flip or a big value add deal where you could make over 20% per year on them pretty quickly and then have big chunks of money to roll into the next deal. So they both have strategies that fit into an investor's portfolio. I would say you have to look at, first of all, your taste for risk, because the shorter the deal timeline, the more risk involved. There's no way around it. Yeah. Even if everything goes completely well, you know something's going to go something is going to be unplanned for that's going to come up. And if you only have a 12-month deal versus a 12-year deal, okay, you just have less time to adjust. So with the shorter-term deals, your return should be higher, but the risk is just a little bit greater. So if you have a higher appetite for risk, that might be a good fitting for you. Um, if you also have a little bit more money to play with, or you really need some quick big hits to get your portfolio started, it's just a different strategy. So we like to have a mix of them. The builds, we sell off pretty quickly. They have pretty good equity multiples. And the as a syndications, we hold for a while um, where we have to, we like to add some value and then refinance as opposed to sell so that you can really get a middle ground of both. But yeah, they're, they're different strategies. And just like in most investing, you get paid for your risk and you just have to acknowledge that before you head into either strategy. For sure. Yeah. Good answer actually you touched a lot on that answer tell yeah. me how uh, perpetual wealth was created how did that all evolve yeah so perpetual wealth capital was actually actually very very recently which is um why you have the notes from when i sent it to you we've just merged with another company called realm investors um, and Perpetual Wealth Capital was the very first LLC that I had created um, way back when, when I first got into this business. So it, it was 
my pursuit of exactly that wealth in perpetuity, meaning it can't be destroyed. It can't be taken from you. It survives all market cycles. And I mean, perpetual literally means forever. So how could we build something for our investors that would outlast them? It would outlast their kids, can't be destroyed, can't be taken away and would last all market cycles. And it was by creating this diversified strategy of those quick flip properties that you do make quick equity multiples on them with these long-term properties in very, very stable markets that stand the test of time and provide consistency with their returns and, and their safety and their tax benefits. So it really is a desire to create, I think, what everybody wants, but has a hard time saying. And it's, I want such abundance in my wealth that it lasts me in perpetuity. Amazing. Do you work with investors from, obviously, most of our listeners are from uh, Canada. Um, yeah. Do you work with people on this side of the border? Yeah, we do. We have in the past. So um, I know that there are some tricky laws with putting money you know, between the borders. Um, and it really depends on what the governments are doing at the time. Things have gotten a little bit more restrictive in moving money. I know into Canada, it's been a lot tougher for people in America to invest in Canada, but we have used money from Canadian investors in the past. Um, and it's significantly easier than other countries in your, Europe or other countries uh, across the river. Um, not a river across the pond, really the big ocean. So uh, yeah, Canada, it has some lower barriers entry than other countries, but definitely possible. Okay, maybe something, I guess we'll, at the end of the show, we'll give out your uh, contact details and whatnot. And if uh, people want to explore that, because it's becoming more and more popular, more and more uh, people in the multifamily space here, I'm seeing more and more on their social media stuff. They're <laughs> going down to the U.S., and uh, yeah. for various reasons. So I'm sure there's going to be somebody in the audience that would want to explore that a little bit deeper with you and uh, maybe take you up on on an opportunity. So, yeah, yeah, that's what we're here for. I mean, guys like me and you were here to be a resource, really. Um, even if you never end up investing a dime with either of us, hey, we'd love to have a conversation. That's why we have podcasts so we can talk about real estate, you know, whenever exactly. we want, as much as we want. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Let me ask you, do you, have you, uh, with Perpetual Wealth, have you guys set goals for this year? Like, hey, we want to hit it out of the park and do a thousand units or have you set any kind of goals? Yeah. You know, our, our goal coming into the year was we wanted to do four good deals. We wanted to do four good deals. As the year progressed and as we kind of got deeper into Q4 last year and as January hit and, you know, everything with the rates going on in, in the States here, um, they've skyrocketed over the past few months. A lot of properties started falling out of contract. Realistically, I'd be happy if we did two good deals this year. What would you describe as a good deal? Yeah, we want to hit our conservative cash on cash metrics. We don't want to overbid on properties, which a lot of people were doing over the past few years. And we we're seeing now a lot of those properties come back to us or come back on market as distressed. We're even reading a lot of articles now of, of billions and billions of dollars of distressed loans coming due over the next couple of months that a lot of people are going to be tightened up for. So a good deal to us is going to be anything, you know, 30 plus units that secures a what I feel is a very, very conservative, stabilized five and a half to six percent cash return in a stable market that continues to grow that as the years go on. 
So we have very strict underwriting standards um, where we hold very, very small estimated projections for growth in markets that historically have done very well. So if we can find things that fit into those buy box for us, even two times this year, we're going to do really, really well. And our investors are going to continue to do very well as well. Awesome. Um, and I like the fact that, you know, how you mentioned you're very conservative with your numbers and your underwriting and stuff like that, which is obviously, yeah. I like to live by the model. Uh, how does it go? Um, uh, how's that go? Uh, over promise or don't over promise or under oh, over, uh, how does that go? Under promise and over deliver. Yes. Yes. Had a yeah. green fart there for a second. Yeah. I, yeah. I live by that model, even with my, uh, with my joint venture partner partners, which I think is why our company has been very, very successful at attracting a lot of referral and a lot of repeat business because we, you deliver and, uh, you know, you don't, over promise and under deliver and then obviously yeah. people are left there with unmet expectations and whatnot although we all know in this space you and i don't control the market you and i don't control interest rates you know nobody has a crystal ball all we can do is use our best judgment based on historical experiences historical data trying to forecast a little bit but it's not bulletproof right yeah, no, I love I love that because you know we're not here to say that deals always go as planned. I mean, it's actually the opposite. I, I don't think there's a single real estate deal out there that goes a hundred percent as planned. Right. Um, something always comes up, whether it's within your control or not in your control, and you can mitigate those things with great and strong due diligence and build in safety measures by being conservative. And when you're looking at deals, and if you're potentially looking to invest. I would ask them some of the bigger items that can really move the needle on projected returns. Those items are going to be projected organic rent growth because rent growth compounds, right? So if you're anticipating 5% compounded growth and the actuality ends up being 3%, okay, well, you're going to miss your first year and then every subsequent year after that. And that will compound into making a huge impact on your returns and exit cap rates. So those are two easy things that people can manipulate when presenting deals that can really, really, really move the needle and show a phenomenal deal on paper. But in reality, they were just too, too aggressive on their exit cap rates and their organic rent growth assumptions. And so those are two big ways that people can move the needle a lot that if you're investing into a deal, you need to really understand how the operators are projecting those two items and then make sure that you're comfortable with it as well. Yeah. Because the exit could be completely screwed, uh, you know. Yeah. If you if you're not conservative and that cap rate, you know, comes mm -hmm. in, yeah, you, you, your your exit could be, yeah, a lot different, a lot <laughs> different. Yeah, and then that's also why we say because you know, look at what happened now is cap rates have shot up because the Fed has just been pushing the gas pedal on interest rates. So did anybody anticipate cap rates would rise this quickly? I don't think so. I don't think anybody really called it 100%, but you can call conservative measures. You can say, hey, I, I maybe didn't anticipate it to, to rise this fast, but I'm counteracting that by I did anticipate it to rise. And also we have multiple exit strategies that we can use now. You know, So again, will it go 100% as planned? Once you've been investing for you know, 10, 20, 30 years, 
you're going to realize deals very, very, very rarely, if if ever, go 100% as planned. But it's about adjusting to the market and about building in safety measures to your initial underwriting that will allow you to absorb a vast majority of things that are unforeseen. Couldn't have said it better, man. Couldn't have said it better. Um, <clears throat> we're hitting 30 minutes, so I'm going to come into... Uh, we can talk about this for two hours back and forth <laughs> yeah. and cap rates and all the other good stuff that comes with uh, underwriting deals and, and projections and whatnot. But unfortunately I try to keep it to about 35 minutes or so. Yeah. That's perfect. So as we get to the, as we get to the end here, um, lightning round, as I like to call it, <clears throat> what is your why? Why do you do what you do every day? Yeah, I, I love this saying, and it's you either suffer the pain of discipline or you suffer the pain of regret. So I do what I do every single day because a couple of reasons. I don't want to live the average run-of-the-mill life that most people have been sold. I actually don't even think that that life is possible anymore. If you look at the numbers, at least here in America, there's people who are going to be in for an extraordinarily rude awakening when they turn 65 if, this is, if they're relying on the public systems. Um, and also, I want that for our investors. I, I want our investors to pull them up into another realm of, of living. That's why I love working with passive investors. I love the look on someone's face when they finally get it and they say, okay, now I can actually do this without committing the time, energy, and money and diluting my risk. So yeah, you suffer the pain of discipline or you suffer the pain of regret. I wake up every single day and do what we do because I don't want to look back and regret not taking action right now. Love it. You're very successful now relative to the way the world views success, but there's always a but. Um, do you think there's still more to life for you? And when you picture more to life for Justin, what do you see? Yeah, I, I picture I picture just total control and options. I think, uh, you know, the, the, the ultimate end game for me, and, and maybe this is a unique thing to me, is I would love to have flight alerts set on my phone to all the destinations in the world that I want to go to. And just when I get a notification, I can just call my girlfriend, book the tickets, and, and we meet up at the airport and go. That to me is just having more to life. Um, no obligations, no time restraints on what I need to do or when I need to do it. And is that really realistic for guys like us who kind of love the grind and love to work and love to accomplish more? You know, I don't know, but I think that is that is ultimate freedom. That is ultimate choice. I can get up, have a backpack at all times, get up and go and start living life, seeing the rest of the world. So that's what I kind of envision as that that ultimate North Star. I love it. And I, I ask that question to every guest. And believe it or not, I pretty much get a different answer from every guest, but it ranges from, you know, helping people more to, I want to own, I want to be Grand Cardone and own uh, a $40 million jet uh, and everything in between when they picture what, what more to life, uh, when they picture that and what they see. And I really believe, and I think we all really believe as, as guests on the show, real estate investing is a tool to get you there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, one of the reasons why people don't accomplish more with their lives is not truly because they don't have the time, 
but because they don't have the mental capacity to take on anymore right now. Right. You go home from work and what's the first thing you do? Oh, I'm just so hungry. I got to eat. Then after dinner, what's the guy do? Okay. Got to do the dishes after dishes. Okay. Now I only have a couple hours till I go to bed again and get up and do it all over. So I think just not having that mental capacity to think about what do I truly want in life and how can I really get there holds a lot of those people back. Um, and then whatever it is, if it's charity, which we love giving a charity, we love impacting people's lives. If it's, you know, I love, uh, the wolf of wall street and you, know, you can save the spotted owls with money so all money is kind of the the root of all these things where you can really make the most impact on, on your life and on other people's as well the way you see fit absolutely so last question <clears throat> if you could give one parting word or piece of advice to the listeners out there what would that be yeah here's what i would say to the people out there that are listening as one final piece of advice that's really helped me shift the way that I see problems and shift the way that I, I work and work towards what I want is people will work harder to avoid pain than they will to pursue pleasure. Meaning if you had to jump into a lion's cage for a bag of million bucks, you probably wouldn't do it because the pain of the lion outweighs the pleasure of, you know, the money. So whenever you're really struggling to get things going and to take that next step in whatever you want to do, just know that you're kind of accepting that situation that you're in, which is okay. Maybe not everybody wants to change that situation, but anytime I see somebody and, and they say, Hey man, I, I really hate my job, but then they sit there all night and they watch Netflix. Okay. Well, the pain of looking for another job is not greater than the pain of not watching Netflix for you right now. So if you don't want to make big changes, that's okay. But just realize that what you do now, it has to compound into the life that you want. So figure out what you want, figure out if it's really worth what it's going to take to get there and dedicate just a small amount of time every single day to working on it. I love it. Say that again. If it, How did you, that metaphor that you said, how does it go? Uh, people will work harder to avoid pain than they will to pursue pleasure. Is that what you mean? Yeah. People will work harder to avoid pain than yeah. to pursue pleasure. Yep. So true, eh? I love that, actually. Put that yeah. in the toolbox. <laughs> yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Well, I hope it's impactful. Very, very powerful. Yeah. All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for being on our show. How do people get a hold of you if they want to reach out, talk to you, do business with you, potentially invest and bring money to the States and everything else in between? Yeah. How do they do that? Yeah, the, the best way is going to be we have a, a free ebook that you can download. Um, it's called The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies. We talk about syndications, we talk about REITs, we talk about funds, we talk about all the forms of passive investing. You can find that at thedefinitiveguidebook.com. There you'll also see all my contact information. If you download the book, I will email you myself. You can reply to that email. We could set something up, but that's probably the best way to get a hold of me and what most people like to look for anyways. Um, it answers a lot of questions that people have about passive investing. So it's thedefinitiveguidebook.com. Awesome. Pretty simple, guys. Reach out to him, download the book, uh, and then set up a call. And if you want to get involved in some investing over the border, obviously a ton of experience here in, in that space and whatnot. So really grateful for you being on the show, Justin. Thanks again. 
and again and again. And maybe we'll do this again in another six months. I'll come back to you and see uh, how your goals are going and where your company's at and whatnot. And yeah, go from there. Yeah, I love it, Adrian, man. Thank you so much for having me again. And listeners, thanks for spending your most valuable asset, which is your time. Thanks for spending a little bit of your time with us. Cheers.